Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. My man Bobby Machado's in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio this afternoon. In a matter of seconds, we'll have Nick Shook from NFL.com joining us to talk all things NFL and dip into some unique Ngakwe conversation, dip into some potential free agents that are still out there if he sees any moves coming post-June 1st because, look, this is how rosters continue to get put together. They've had OTAs. Every team has had OTAs. A lot of them have been able to see a little bit of what they have in these players and know, okay, this guy's a little weak here. This guy's better there. All right, we still need this, that, and the other. So uh, there could be a lot of moving and shaking still happening with not only the Raiders but every team across the league as they all prepare for training camp coming up uh, at the end of July closer to August. So Nick Shook from NFL.com will join us in a matter of minutes throughout the question on the don'tbebroke.com text line. What's the offseason move you really like, the move you weren't a fan of, and the one offseason question that you still have? Again, 69187, keyword R&R. And join us now on the phone lines from NFL.com, as promised, is our guy Nick Shook. And Nick, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Definitely appreciate you. And I, I want to start off and talk about Unique Ngakwe. He's a guy that um, you had a piece on on NFL.com that he's not really worried about the money, but he's looking for a contender. Because I'll tell you, Nick, I'm shocked that he's still out there available by way of free agency. What do you think is going to happen with Unique? How, how, how long do you think it's going to take before he signs a deal? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation. That's why I likened it to, to, to Davian Clowney in recent years, because this is a guy who's averaged roughly nine sacks a season throughout his career. I mean, if you look at the first four years, he had 37.5 in Jacksonville, and then the last, uh, you know, three years, he's, He's put together, what is that, mental math, 28, 27 and a half. <laughs> um, so, you know, math, never my strong suit, but it kind of works out that way. Uh, right. This is a guy who's consistent when it comes to production. He has not missed a lot of games in his career. In fact, let's see, he missed one game in 2020. He missed two games last year. That's it. Every, otherwise, he's he's playing pretty much every game. Missed another game in 2019 as well. Otherwise, this is a guy who's playing double-digit games every year. He's consistently producing. He's uh, a bit of a game changer off the edge. And, you know, yeah, he might not necessarily be in the peak of his prime anymore at 28 years old, but he's still under that 30-year-old mark. And for teams that are looking for edge-rushing support that are, you know, from veteran players and, and, and guys they can count on to come in and contribute immediately, it's a surprise that he hasn't really been signed yet. Now, he's, he's taken some visits, and he's even he even spoke about it that, look, I'm, I'm tired of taking visits. I'm tired of doing this one-year thing because – he gets drafted by the Jaguars. He's part of that Saxonville defense. You know, he's a big part of it. He he emerges in year really year two, but even year one, he had eight sacks, year one, and four forced fumbles. And the next year was really his breakout year, his only Pro Bowl season. I think he's a guy that's kind of been underrated throughout his career. And maybe mm-hmm. it's a scheme fit thing because he is a game changer as a pass rusher. Maybe folks are a little bit concerned about how he is in the run game, but he is certainly um, you know a premier edge rusher. So. What team needs edge rushing support right now that has the available cap space? And that's the other strange thing is he said he wants to be a contender. The teams that have cap space are not ideally going to be contenders except for somebody like Detroit, who has been mentioned in the whole DeAndre Hopkins thing a lot. I don't know if they necessarily need much help at edge rusher, but the group that would have money available to pay him right away, um, they're not necessarily in that tier. The other thing is, is he doesn't want to keep bouncing around. So right. what team is willing to sign him to a multi-year deal, deal like the Raiders did, you know, when the Raiders signed him in 2021 to a two-year deal before trading him because they got Chandler Jones in the big arms race that was the 2022 offseason. So it's strange because 
you know, when he went to Minnesota, it was a big deal, right? You know, yep. he kind of forced his way out of Jacksonville, got into that public spat with Tony Khan, gets traded to Minnesota. Everyone's like, this is a great fit. Doesn't really work out. Uh, statistically, you know, he had five sacks in six games, which so is pretty good on paper, but didn't make the impact necessarily that you saw on a per-play basis. So he gets traded to Baltimore. The same thing kind of happens. Three sacks in nine games, just not a great fit there either before going to the Raiders and making a difference with uh, with Max Crosby. I was in the camp, um, and I think we probably spoke about this in the past, but I was in the camp that when they went and got Chandler Jones, I was like, why? You're you're fine with Ngakwe. You don't right. need to you know make this move. It almost felt reactionary. But unfortunately for Yannick, he's, he's still out there now because of this because he's just been nonstop. Minnesota, Baltimore, Vegas, the Colts, which was a nightmare for most everyone in Indianapolis last year. So, Maybe there's a little stench on him, or maybe it's just that you know teams don't want to commit to him over multiple years, and that's what he's looking for, and he just hasn't found a fit yet. But that's that's a talented player that's still out there and, and should be scooped up eventually. It blows my mind. It really does. And I, I hated to see Unique Ngakwe go. I like Chandler Jones a lot, but I hated to see him go because I do think that Ngakwe is a hell of a player. Like you said, eight, nine sacks is what he's going to give you. And he gave – hell, he gave the Colts nine and a half last year, right? I mean, so where right, right. where do you see him as a fit? Like where do you think that – not even – not contender, but just where do you think that he should should go like a team that could use him right now honestly if i i would have said before the browns went and acquired desaria smith i thought that would have been a good fit opposite yeah. Miles Garrett. i think i really do think though it's a run fit thing i think that mm-hmm. um he might be you know valued more as a third down specialist than than an every down edge rusher and we're, we were in that phase of the offseason where you know, you were looking at, at guys you could play on every down. They could play run and pass, and and not necessarily the, the third down specialist who's going to get after the quarterback, you know, like crazy. So it's it's almost a luxury item. And mm-hmm. now that we're in June, we're in this little dead period where guys tend to just kind of work out on their own and and bide their time and weigh their options before eventually signing right before camp. So um, it's going to be kind of difficult, I think, to find a fit because we where we are in the off season. But I I liken him to Clowney too because they Clowney, you know annually for the last three years has waited and waited and waited until he finally found, you know, a, a deal that I guess uh, he really waited out his market more than anything before agreeing to deals, you know, with Tennessee once with the Browns twice. Um, and, and so that's kind of the process that I think awaits Yannick. And, and it's just a matter of, you know, what team is going to be willing because you usually get the multi-year deals before now. You don't get that now. So, right. uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he does end up taking a one-year deal with the contender. I'm not sure he's going to be able to have his cake and eat it, too, even though ideally, you know, a fit on a team like Kansas City, it makes sense. Now, they got rid of Frank Clark, but they planned for that with George Karloftis. I don't think that that's a team that necessarily goes and takes another swing, considering they don't really have any cap space to work with. So some, some players have to move. Some, some cap situations have to be managed to really clear space, unless he goes with one of those teams that has cap like a Detroit, which, you know, I mean, pairing him with Aiden Hutchinson would be fun, but at the same right. time, I don't think that's necessarily something that they're looking at right now. Right, no doubt. Absolutely. Nick Shook, NFL.com is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Well, what about the other big name that's out there? That's DeAndre Hopkins. This time last week, he was being released by Arizona, which before we get to Hopkins, what is Arizona doing this year? Uh, uh, all right, I'm not going to use the T word, okay? We're going to stay away from the <laughs> T word, but they have accepted their fate. <laughs> um, long leash for the coach, you know, Jonathan Gannon. And I think it's a situation where they're like, look, we're not going to have our best player for probably, you know, the first 10 weeks of the season. Right. Uh, we're we're going to saddle up and take our lumps. And, and it's going to get interesting, though, because, and we saw this in Tennessee to a lesser degree, it's a new regime in Arizona. This is not a regime that drafted Kyler Murray. This right. is not the regime that, you know, kind of tied itself to Kyler Murray. 
Now, is it is it possible you have that contract without you know taking a big hit in dead cap? I'm not entirely certain that it is. So he might be locked in regardless. Um, the guaranteed money wasn't as high as some other deals, so there might be some wiggle room there. But it'll be really interesting if they end up being the worst team in football and Caleb Williams you know, has another phenomenal year and mm-hmm. he's the consensus number one pick and Arizona has a decision to make. And, and I think 15 years ago that would have been nearly unprecedented and it would have been shocking. But we've seen it happen so many times in recent years that, I mean, you know, you, you, people, like folks are like, well, what's Carolina going to do with Matt Corral? I'm like, he's a third-round pick. They're, they're going to cast him to, to the side just like they did with Jimmy Clausen when they drafted Cam Newton. I mean, right. they, they go draft Bryce Young. So they got more invested in, in, in Tyler Murray, but it's also a franchise, granted, different regime now that uh, also spent a first-round pick on Josh Rosen and then went and spent the top pick on Kyler Murray the next year. So. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, but I think it's just it's a club that has been all in on winning. And, you know, the construction of their team on paper made sense, but a lot of it just didn't pan out. Um, inconsistent play at, quarterbacks at, at quarterback at times, um, offensive line not really up to par. And, uh, you know, you go get J.J. Watt and you acquired DeAndre Hopkins and you got studs in the back end like Buda Baker. Isaiah Simmons never quite became the playmaking difference maker that, that they thought he would be, even though he's still, you know, a player that's kind of fun to watch. Um, and now they're in that position where, you know, kind of like the Rams, you, you see this even in basketball a little bit where, look, we went all in for like three years and, and it's not sustainable financially anymore. And some of those key guys retired or moved on or they're not worth paying anymore. We're, this is the rebuild year. This is the reset year. And it's going to be a painful one in the desert. Yeah, no, it will. What about DeAndre Hopkins? Where do you think he ends up? Uh, he's obviously still a really good wide receiver, a little bit older, but still has plenty of skills. Well, I had a landing spot piece that we put up last week uh, right after he got released, which, you know, it's funny because the Cardinals had three months to do that. Like, right. they started talking about, as soon as they hired Monty Austin for it, you know, they had an opportunity to make a decision on him. And I think ultimately they waited out the trade market until they realized there was no trade to be had. And then, you know, right before June 1st, they had to get rid of him to save themselves money and, and be able to eat the entire dead cap hit in one year and move on, which kind of signals to where they are as a franchise. Um it, uh, so we, we, we kind of had time to prepare for this, but at the same time, we were also waiting and waiting and waiting to see if a trade would be there. But with a contract like that and where he is in his career right now, it's difficult to trade him. Couldn't find a partner, so he gets released. Now, the question is, is what does he really want? Does he want money? Does he want a chance to win a ring? He had spoken. Now, people are, you know, the discourse online is he wants his money. He's not going to fit with that team. They don't have the cap space for it. Well, two things. One, he's spoken online in the past that it hasn't really necessarily been about the money. He doesn't want to get paid more than it is right now. He really wants an opportunity to win. And there are teams with needs that, that are considered to be contenders that, that could certainly use his help. And, uh, and, and so I, I think that if you, if you go from that scope, um, you start thinking about the Chiefs. And you start thinking about the Bills. Two teams that could certainly use receiving talent. Who wouldn't want to go play with Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen? Who wouldn't want to go run routes opposite Stephon Diggs and get a little bit less attention from the defense and, right. and, you know, make some magic that way. The other thing I was going to say is the salary cap is kind of a myth, okay? If, yes, if, it if is. If you learn anything from Mickey Harrison and the Saints over the last, I don't know, five years, it's that you can manage it, you can manipulate it in a number of ways. One being you can just kick the can down the road mm-hmm. with the way that you uh, convert salaries to signing bonuses and add on the dead cap penalty and just kind of manage it that way, which – that gives me anxiety because I know that eventually it's going to come time to pay the piper, but uh, which they've kind of dealt with at quarterback in the last couple of years with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton being right. their best options because they just didn't have any money to spend. But they were able to get under cap and keep a lot of the other guys. I mean, I was tasked with writing a piece about a year ago or so where 
hey, here's find you know what are the Saints going to do? There's seventy nine million dollars over the cap, and identify where they might make changes. I listed ten guys that they could have parted ways with, varying degrees of how likely it would happen. One of those guys retired, and the other one went somewhere else. The other eight guys stayed on the team. So <laughs> it's not impossible to manage your cap to be able to to keep yourself competitive and fit in um, big time playmakers. And 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 the the Chiefs actually have some flexibility built into Patrick Mahomes' contract to be able to do that a little bit of a restructure and and stuff like that where uh, they could clear some space if they needed to. The Bills makes more sense to me. That's why I listed them as number one because they desperately need another top target opposite Stephon Diggs. It's if you look at Stephon Diggs' target share, it's, it's insane. He had like a, almost 180 targets last year, and and they're throwing him the ball exclusively too much. Mm-hmm. Gabe Davis has not, you know, become the guy that a lot of people thought he would after that incredible divisional round game between the Chiefs and Bills a couple seasons ago. And I think that with your title window open, you don't have time to be patient anymore. You need to go get another player. So they have to manage their cap to make it work, but um, it would fit there. It would fit with the Chiefs because, like I said, who doesn't want to go chase the title with Patrick Mahomes? It would be great. But the Chiefs won a title without really having, you know, premier top-of-the-line receiver talent last year. They lucked out with Kadarius Toney, but, like, Juju Smith-Schuster was playing a big part for them. And and where Miko Hardman didn't, you know, wasn't even able to make a factor in the Super Bowl because of health. So, they can be fine without him. Another team that I keep hearing, because I'm in Cleveland, is the Browns. Uh, <laughs> it makes more sense free agency-wise. I don't yeah. think it makes – because, you know, they'd have to give up any assets to get him. But I don't think it makes a lot of sense in terms of fit. They've spent a lot of time trying to supplement the receiving core. You know, everybody likes to play with toys as if it's Madden and we're going to sit back and put Amari Cooper and DeAndre Hopkins all in the same lineup and, and you know, run mm-hmm. wild. But – it's a little bit more complicated than that. So I think it's possible because of the Deshaun Watson connection. I don't know if it's entirely likely. The team that I really would like to see him go to is the Detroit Lions, who have enough cap space. They have talent elsewhere. They just rebuilt their backfield. Jared Goff's coming off a pretty solid season for him, one of his best of his career. Everything momentum-wise is moving forward. It's all positive in Detroit. Are they going to actually follow through? Right. And chase a title? I don't know because you tend to get a regression after – you know, a come-up year like they had last year. But they can make it happen immediately. They have space for him in the receiving core, and they have space for him when it comes to the salary cap. So that's probably the four teams that I would keep in mind the most. I, I include the Cowboys because Jerry Jones always kicks the tires on everybody. Of, of everybody. <laughs> Folks want to see him go to the Ravens because he said, hey, I want to go play for Lamar Jackson or play with right. Lamar Jackson. But the Ravens have paid careful attention to their receiving core, and I don't know if they want to upset the balance of that. There's actually all of a sudden it's kind of a crowded room. So uh, those four teams are probably the ones I'm thinking. Well, yeah, Jerry Jones, he definitely always is going to kick the can and pay attention to everybody that's out there, especially if they have a name because, well, he loves that. He wants to sell some extra jerseys. That's that's who Jerry Jones is. There's no doubt, of course, uh, having the having the uh, Deshaun Watson ties there in Cleveland makes a lot of sense as well. Again, Nick Shook, NFL.com is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Now, me and you have asked and talked about, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels and what he's looking for in a quarterback. And obviously the Raiders have Jimmy G. When he gets healthy, if he gets healthy, he'll be under center. I don't know if you've had a chance to check out. Uh, if you haven't, that's okay. But have you had a chance to check out Aiden O'Connell, the fourth-round pick out of Purdue? And if you have, what do you think about him? Yeah, I was interested. I was surprised that he got drafted that early. And that's okay. no knock on him because Purdue likes to sling it. I mean, they throw the ball around the field, which is a big, kind of a big change in philosophy. I mean, this is a program that produced Drew Brees, but it's also a program that produced Kyle Orton. And then kind of in between there, you know, mm-hmm. I challenge you to name a notable quarterback from Purdue. Right? Exactly. But they had a banner year. 
You know, yep. they, they, they win the Big Ten West. They get to the Big Ten title game. They play in Michigan, and they don't have a damn chance to pass the third quarter of that game. <laughs> uh, it's not like I watched a ton of Purdue football, but I saw enough of O'Connell to see both why they found success with him and why I think it'll be an uphill battle for him to find success in the NFL. The number one for me is he's got a really long throwing motion. I mean, it's it's not quite Tim Tebow long, but it's pretty long. It's very over the top. It's almost, like, traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was better than some of the other later-round quarterback prospects, I think. Um, statistically, he had, you know, a, a solid output at Purdue. Uh, he helped Charlie Jones get drafted when he was coming from Iowa where they never saw the football. That was a great transfer portal move out of Charlie Jones. So, uh, I think that that's the kind of guy you take as a developmental prospect. I don't, okay. I don't, you know, the downside to the whole Brock Purdy thing is that now every fan of every team thinks that their rookie can be Brock Purdy, and I right. don't realize that that was the outlier, that was the exception, not the rule. So, I wouldn't put those expectations on him. I think it's important that you have a Brian Hoyer in there who can run McDaniel's offense, who is very familiar with what we now know as New England West, based on how they basically approach this entire offseason right. and and the way they've structured their team. Uh, he'll at least feel somewhat familiar and comfortable there and be able to step into that role. It is a bummer, though. That foot news was a real bummer. And the funny thing is, and I'm sure you think about this day, you remember back to the day when Jimmy D officially signed, there was like a three, four-hour delay. Like, oh, it yeah. was a no. long time. It was a day what delay. What was going on? It got pushed yeah. back a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it was a whole day. And then even on the day, it was right. it was a delay as well. So yeah. um, it, it's kind of a bummer because, you know, this is a this is a club that pushed out Derek Carr and and for whatever reason and then they immediately went and got Jimmy and and of course as the story of Jimmy's career has been you know, he's got another lower body injury you know although he's had shoulder injuries in the past too so I guess it's just all over uh, right. hopefully he gets right and, and you don't have to worry about quarterback for too long right well that's that's exactly right and Josh McDaniel said he has no anxiety uh, he he's it's nothing new that he didn't already know he feels pretty comfortable but I mean you know you cover enough football you've been around the game enough at what point do you think Jimmy needs to be under center for the Raiders to even have a chance this season oh week <laughs> well you're in the, you're going uh, into I mean, the regular season <laughs> yeah yes um because I, he's familiar with that offense uh, right. I think that the acclimation process and period will be very short. Okay. Uh, it's, it's almost like getting back on the bike after a long time and not going on bike rides. You know, there's like five minutes where you're like, oh, I forget how to balance. All right, I got it again. We're cruising. Right. Um, it's just that you know Jimmy's ceiling. And the, the problem is, is with projecting the Raiders, you know, we had a lot of good and then weird things to say about the Raiders at this time last Well, really by the time we were done with the preseason last year because – they were giving their starters more reps, and they were, like, operating with tempo in the mm-hmm. preseason, and that, they seemed pretty sharp. Yep. And then when it came to the regular season, they were anything but sharp. They couldn't finish games. They couldn't find any offensive rhythm in the second half of games that they should have won. Uh, so I have a hard time trusting them. So, if you know, if I trusted them more, I'd say, hey, he needs to be back by week six, right? Mm-hmm. With them, it might be week two because, right. like, I just don't know who you – know, you don't want to start 0-2, 0-3 coming off the season you had last year. You're already digging yourself out of a hole that you started last year. So – it's got to be earlier than later. Um, I don't want to push it, though, at the same time, because we know Jimmy's history, his health, um, you know, ankle injuries, the foot injury last year that has persisted through the offseason. Uh, you don't want to push that guy. You want to make sure he's fully healthy, at least as best as possible within that time frame. So let's say first month. He's got to be back in the first month for them to have a serious shot. Well, I'll tell you right now, the schedule is not easy for him. First three out of four games are on the road. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely got to gotta get back. I'm, I'm looking at training camp. I'd like to see him out there at training camp and uh, getting familiar with what he's supposed to be doing. But we will see 
how it all shakes out. Again, Josh McDaniels' words, not mine. He has no anxiety. So there's well, that. Well, I mean, and here's the thing, too, Q. Here's the thing is, is I'm bracing for the worst. Right. Because it's yep. Jimmy, and, and unfortunately because of what has happened to the Raiders in recent years. I, I, I you know, maybe I'm a pessimist, but you, you can hear that it's, it's easy to say in June, hey, I'm not worried. Right. you got time. But, yep. you know, time's going to run out real quick, and suddenly you're going to have to answer one way or the other. So that's why we're putting it on that end. No, that makes sense. It really does. And I think a lot of Raider Nation is doing the same thing, preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. And that's just kind of how it shakes out. So, Nick, fantastic stuff as always, my man. What are you working on? I know you got a lot that you're working on at NFL.com. It never stops. It's a machine. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, we got next-gen top tens. I'm actually working mm. on one right now. We got the first couple of them up, uh, deep ball throwers. Uh, Geno Smith atop that list. You'll find some surprises in there, including a guy from the AFC West that you might not think should be on that list. I didn't think so, but after diving the numbers, he's, he ended up there. Uh, we have most explosive players uh, coming up. I think it's probably early next week. Uh, best receivers in terms of, or according to catch rate over expected. Not receivers like, you know, who have a ton of yards, but guys who consistently make the receptions that are unlikely or are unexpected to be made. And then we, uh, we roll through with a couple more in that series. We'll have some content uh, for, uh, you know, some other things as well, both on and off the field. Plenty to check out even here in June. You know, I'll tell you, talking about the top ten deep passers, I saw Geno Smith number one. That kind of blew my mind just because I don't expect Geno Smith to be that big-time playmaker. But I, I was shocked when I saw Tua at number two, but then I realized his receiving core is like a track team out there. Oh, yeah. They, they love to throw it deep, and his numbers were – the funny thing is, too, is you think the narrative of their season last year, which was super explosive first half, he gets the concussion issues. Second half, they kind of tail off. They still make the playoffs, but he's not available to play. I thought there'd be a massive difference in the numbers. There wasn't. You know, he threw a couple more interceptions, but a lot of the other numbers were similar. So, wow. if he can stay healthy for the entire season, yeah. he can be that explosive team all year, and you have to watch out for him. And then, explosive runners, Josh Jacobs, I saw he just missed the cut. So, I guess he was close? Yeah, he was close. Um, sometimes in these things, it's a product of volume. And uh, when you see a ton of carries, sometimes the, the percentages and the differences that we're looking for uh, don't quite match up. Explosive was more about uh, 10 and 15 plus yard runs and then okay. 15 plus mile per hour runs and things like that. Trying to trying to balance distance gained and uh, speed, top speed, because we're talking about explosive players. He just fell short, which is a bummer because when you look at his raw stats when it came to rushing yards, and if you watched him last year, yep. he was certainly really fun to watch. But it's tough to make the cut sometimes. Yeah, no, it is, but it's really good reading, and, and I checked it out earlier today. So, uh, yeah, keep those lists coming because I'll be checking them out, and, of course, we'll have stuff to talk about here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Nick, thanks so much for your time, my man. I appreciate you as always. Yep, and people will keep lighting me up on Twitter over it. Appreciate it, Kip. Absolutely, no doubt about it. You can light him up on Twitter as well, at the Nick Shook on Twitter. Check out NickNFL.com and all his fantastic work that he puts out. I do appreciate him uh, giving me plenty of time this afternoon, deep diving in all things NFL, talking about Josh McDaniels' offense, Aiden O'Connell, what he saw from him at Purdue, and he has a bunch of different pieces out on NFL.com. Top 10 deep passers, top 10 most explosive runners in 2022, and the list goes on and on and on. And as he said, he's working on wide receivers as well. 323 is the time. Ask him the question, what's the offseason move that you really liked, the move you weren't a fan of, and the one offseason question that you still have. Let us know about it. 69187, keyword R&R, or you can give us a call at 702-365-9200 in a matter of minutes as well. We'll have the conversation I had with Matt Millen at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, Raiders HQ, yesterday. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. 
It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Many thanks to my guy Nick Shook from NFL.com. Joined us in the last segment, gave us a little overtime, as a matter of fact, talking all things NFL. We definitely appreciate him. You can check him out on Twitter at TheNickShook. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll have my conversation I had yesterday at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center with the great Matt Millen. That was a fun conversation. You heard that on upon further review. Uh, but I definitely want to bring that to the table. Thought that was some good stuff. So you'll hear that coming up in a few minutes. But I did throw the question out there on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword r and also the Raider Nation listener line at 702-365-9200. Love to hear from you. What is the offseason move that you really liked, the move you weren't a fan of, and the one offseason question that you still have? Uh, got a lot of folks talking about Darren Waller. And Mailman Raider actually hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line. I said, I was a big fan of Waller, but I mean he was hurt and getting up there in age. I brought it up last season, trading him for Roquan. I don't know if it was plausible, but it was an idea. I think we get so hung up on what a player has done when it should be what he will do. That's Mailman Raider. And, yeah, that's – and thank you for the text, my man. That's something that I think every fan – and even, you know, even guys like me that cover the team on the regular, you know, and, and this goes with any team. Sometimes you just got get caught up with a guy that's in the locker room or someone that you either become friends with and, you know, develop a relationship with and all of a sudden they're gone. And it's like, oh, man. But, I mean, if you think about it, the last, you know, the last year for sure, you know, everyone, including myself, thought, man, Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, that's going to be a hell of a three-headed monster out there for the Raiders' offense uh, in, in general. And it just wasn't that because Hunter and Darren were, were not available for most of the season. Devontae did his thing. But, you know, on top of that, I just think that, as Adam Hill pointed out in the first hour of the show earlier today, sometimes personalities and styles just don't match. And I don't think Darren Waller and this staff were a really good match for each other. I think that they gave it a try. Wanted to, they wanted it to work out, but I just don't think that they, I don't think that they all worked out really well together. And and Mailman Raider spot on. I mean, you know, he was he was banged up quite a bit. Is he going to be banged up in New York? Who knows, right? All reports that I read right now, everybody's really happy with what they're seeing. They think he's going to be the number one receiver there in New York, and that's probably a good role for him. Remember how he thrived when he was the number one uh, target for Derek Carr with the Raiders, right? And then. He, knew he wasn't the number one target after that, and I don't know if he's one of those guys that starts to lose you know, either focus or, or even passion when he's not out there. I don't know. Or not, when he's not being targeted a lot, I don't know. Right? I don't want to just – I don't want to label him because I, I, I don't want to do that. But obviously when Devontae Adams is on your team, that's, that's, that's the number one target. And before Devontae was with the Raiders, then it was no doubt Darren Waller was the number one target with Hunter Renfro being a close second. So things always change. And I think that there's an opportunity for him to do some good things in New York. They need as many weapons as possible for Daniel Jones. And we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, definitely a big fan of the guy. We'll always root for him. Always want the best for Darren Waller. And, and I just that's just kind of how it is. But as far as him being you know a, a major asset for the Raiders, I think that Mayer is going to do just fine. That's why when I answered the question of what was the offseason move that I liked the most, I think it was the addition of Michael Mayer. I mean, you think about Josh McDaniels and what he wants to do, especially with the run game. He wants to be able to have a guy that blocks. I mean, he's talked about that so much, a guy that's able to seal the edge and, and allow a guy like Josh Jacobs or Zamir White or whoever's running the ball to get to the edge, get to the outside and do what they do. They didn't have that last year, right? Foster Morrow wasn't a very good blocker. He was a better blocker than Darren Waller, but he wasn't a very good blocker. And Darren, he, even though he worked on it all the time at practice, we'd see him working on it at practice, it just didn't come natural to him. Running routes and catching passes, that came natural to him. And so, you, I mean, sometimes that's just what it is. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. But I think Mayer is going to be really good. I, I, I really do. And, you know, I, it could end up coming back 
you know, a year, two years from now and saying, hey, you know what, I, I, I overestimated the, the ability of Michael Mayer. But I do think right now that he's going to be a hell of a player, and I think you're going to like what he brings to the table, the red zone, the blocking game, extending the drive, uh, just his all-around game. Again, I thought he was a first-round pick. He ended up in the second round, so we'll see what happens. But I think the Raiders got a really good one in Michael Mayer. But, again, I asked you the question, what's the offseason move that you really liked? the move that you weren't a fan of, and the one off-season question that you still have. 69187, keyword R&R, 702-365-9200. Coming up next, Matt Millen and myself had a chance to catch up. We had a chance to sit down at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. You'll hear that conversation next here on Red Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Again, I throw the question out there about the offseason moves. Which one did you really like? The move that you weren't a fan of and the one offseason question that you still have. 69187, keyword R&R, com text line, and 702-365-9200. You can keep those calls uh, on hold for now because we do have a conversation that I want you to hear. I got a chance yesterday to catch up with the great Matt Millen, four-time Super Bowl champ, twice with the Raiders, one in Oakland and one in L.A. He sat down at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center in the Raiders podcast studio with me, and we just started off with the conversation. How you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, so far so good. Yes, yes, yes. Not dead yet. That's good. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, being out there on the grass and being out there on the blacktop, it, it got pretty hot pretty quick. It is very deceptive. Yes. Yeah, it's the biggest deception. Yeah, no, it's it warm is. fast. I thought that, hey, man, I got shorts on today. It's not going to be too bad. And then all of a sudden it just it crept up, and I thought, okay, it's pretty hot. Let me go inside to the studio. So I'm glad that you're able to join us here in the studio. And you're here with uh, a bunch of the legends. And, you know, the Raiders, they always pride in, in the alumni and, and the you know how much the alumni means to the silver and black. What does it mean for you to be able to come back each and every year and even just observe OTAs like today? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but for me, I mean, it's enjoyable because it gives you – lets you become – kind of part of the thread of the of the organization and so you also you know have a chance to speak to the younger players get to know the younger players and they're all younger at this point <laughs> and so um it's it's just you know it's good to stay in touch what is it when you're out there observing I know what I'm kind of looking for I'm looking for attendance I'm looking for you know size of guys see if they bulked up from a year ago seeing if there's you know look like the drills are going pretty smoothly but from your standpoint what are you looking for when you're out there so in in these situations, in these settings, you're looking for skill sets mm-hmm. and can they be demonstrated against competition, but it's not hard competition. You know, right. You're running around in your shorts. Right. So it's not like you're hitting anybody. So really what you're looking for is you don't want to see guys make mental mistakes. Mm-hmm. You want to see guys be right with their footwork. You want to see guys get their hand placement and all that kind of stuff. And then even if you're not, if you're a rookie and you're doing this stuff, you're you're still trying to figure it out. So it's just really getting everybody there and then getting a feel for what kind of team you're going to have. Right. Because inevitably uh, what it comes down to is is the group has to gel. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't gel, you don't have a chance. And if it does gel, you got a shot. How much, How important is that right now, oh, gelling? I mean, even though there's 90 guys, but how important is it to start gelling right now? Yeah, so you're going into the, into the, uh, into the schedule here thinking – you know, who your guys are going to be, you hope to be. And there's some going to be, there's obviously going to be some guys that are going to surprise you and you think, hey, we got one. Right. And so what you really want to see is your core group develop. And you don't win a championship without the locker room being right. Mm-hmm. You can't have guys who don't love football. You can't have guys who don't try to give it their all or who have some kind of pride or a chip on their shoulder right. to try to prove to you. I mean, if you have that element, you got a real chance. Because generally what ends up happening in the league is you, 
it's not that you win games, you lose games. Mm-hmm. So you make more mistakes. Right. So the, the idea is not to make as many mistakes as the other team while still trying to maintain a high level of play. And so the guys who make fewer mistakes are guys who are smart, mm-hmm. are guys who it means something to, and then they put the work into it. That's and, something that Coach McDaniels just told us a little while ago, that that's what he's looking for, especially in the, in the rookies. You know, I asked him about Aiden O'Connell. He said, hey, he's swimming right now, right. but he's smart. You know, he loves football, and, and he's out here. And, and, again, these are OTAs that are voluntary. So it shows that you love football when you're out here working. Well, if you're a rookie and you're not here, <laughs> right. you got, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I but I, I had a lot of Aiden's games in college. Mm-hmm. He was at Purdue. And, and so he's, he has the skill set to be able to, to stick, right? Mm-hmm. And so he – he can throw a long ball, but with the state of their offensive line at Purdue, he was getting rid of the ball pretty quick. Right. So he had to see things fast. He had to recognize things fast. They played a lot of man against him to try to take things away, and he was accurate with the football. And so all those things are going to be a plus for him. Talking again with uh, former Raider, the great Matt Millen, here with us on the Palm Further Review, brought to you by Coors Light. Uh, one of the things I noticed about Aiden O'Connell and, and something that Dave Ziegler's pointed out and Josh McDaniels is that they like guys that have been through some things and, and yeah. some deal dealt with some adversity. He walked on at Purdue, you yep. know, he, he had to fight his way up the depth chart, and now, you know, he was a fourth-round pick. So a guy like that, I feel like he's going to come out here with a lot to prove. Yeah, and he's that kind of kid anyway. And he had some, he had some family problems, uh, uh, somebody – one of his family members died last year. And I had that game, actually, and he played through it. And so, you know, he's, he's been through the ringer a little bit, and so he gets it, and you like to see that. Right. And because even with all those things on him, all the emotional stress and all that kind of stuff, he still, he still played well. Right, and that's, that's really important. And, again, he's building that right now, and he's getting a lot of reps. We know Jimmy Garoppolo is still, you know, rehabbing right now. So uh, it, it's almost one of those things where I feel like he's – able to take advantage of reps that he might not be getting as many of if Jimmy was healthy right now. Yeah, I mean, all the quarterbacks. Right. I mean, Hoyer, it's the same thing. So yeah. you have to take advantage when you get it. Mm-hmm. And you never know when it's going to happen, right? So right now he has an opportunity, so you take advantage of it as much as you can. Right. There's there's no doubt about it. Again, Matt Millen is with us here. And so, again, just being out there with your alumni brother, you know, how, how is that? I mean, knowing that you guys worked really hard and built some really, really great Raider teams, how, how, how much fun is that to be back with them? Yeah, that's interesting. We had a great talk uh, with uh, Dave Ziegler this morning, and um, one of the things we were talking about is like all those guys in there that you look at now and were are great, like Art Show, yeah, great and mm-hmm. great legend, right? And uh, you know, there's guys like that. So Art showed up here at the Raiders, and he wasn't a legend; mm-hmm. he was just a rookie, right? And he had to learn, and he learned from the guys before him. And then Art, when I got here. Art took me under his wing with Gene Upshaw, and that's how I learned what a Raider is. Mm -hmm. And I think in the league right now, that's hard to do Mm -hmm. because rosters get turned over so fast and free agency guys leave fast. They're here for two years and they're gone. And you really, it's hard to build a core. And so I think that's one of the things that the Raiders are trying to do right now. And and I, I hope that it takes, but... For us, it was a different experience than, than the way football is right now. You know, you mentioned building that core, and Dave Ziegler's told me and told mother, many others that, you know, he's trying to build this team through the draft. How important is that? As you've been in that position, Huge. how important is that to be able to hit on, on more of your draft picks? So we used to say, now you're talking, this is 20 years ago. Right. Well, so we used to say, if we hit on five picks, okay. we're good. Mm-hmm. That's a good draft. I think today it's probably more like three. Yeah. And it's... And if you get a free agent someplace, 
uh, you know, undrafted free agent, mm-hmm. or if you get a late round pick that can play, right. that's a that's a bonus. So you're really looking at those first three guys that have to contribute, and then the rest of your team is made up of uh, free agents, right? And and that's a whole new world that we that didn't exist when I played, right? And so um, it's different because every year it's a new makeup. Mm-hmm. That's why maintaining a core is so important. Well, they maintained Max Crosby. They extended him last season, and he is one of those leaders. You mentioned, you know, uh, Art Shell taking you under his wing. He's mentioned he wants to take Tyree Wilson under his wing. He wants to help those defensive guys blend and gel, and and he wants to be that leader. How important is it to have that leader like he does in Max Crosby? Huge. I mean, you you can't overstate how important that it is. Mm -hmm. I. My my guess and my gut is Josh Jacobs is another one of those guys. Right. I just think that um, there are some guys that are just natural leaders. Mm-hmm. There's some guys who are thrust into that leadership position based on how they're playing. But some guys they don't like it. Mm-hmm. They, they're not. They don't really want to be that guy. They they like playing at a high level, mm-hmm. but let that to somebody else. And there are some guys that are just natural born. They walk in. They they just take over. That's right. just their personality. When you have one of them and he can play, you you need to hold on to it because they're really hard to find. Is Max Crosby not the definition of a Raider? When you see him, yeah. I mean, you know what a Raider looks like. Yeah. He, to me, seems he's like— He's a new Raider because we didn't have all those tats back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a fun Raider, right? He's, he's representing the organization, and he wants to win. You know, you talk about guys with edges and chips on their shoulder. I mean, the guy was a fourth-round pick, right? Right? They told That's him good. he had to get size. You got right. to get bigger. That's the only way you're going to be able to play. And he went Skinny out and got double—yeah, double di- got double-digit sacks. <laughs> and but, so if I'm his teammate, I keep reminding him of that. Right. You want you want to keep, keep him on edge. Oh yeah. So yeah. Howie was like that. Mm-hmm. Howard Matthew Moses Long, great <laughs> player. I mean, great player. Howie never thought he was good enough to stick. Mm-hmm. So I always reminded him every year. Right. Hey, don't forget you're you're a stiff, right? You, <laughs> You're not that good. And the great ones do that, right? The great yeah. ones continue to find ways to push themselves, yep. or like you said, have teammates out to push them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, I mean, and it's all, you know, it's he loved the game. Mm-hmm. Max loves the game. There are guys, when you have those guys, you got to hold on to them. Right. But you also have to have relationships on the team like that, like, you know, I still call Howie and I tell him, hey, you're not that good. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you're the only one that can get away with that. <laughs> no, no, no. Howard Matthew Moses, man, he was he was a guy who he was really, he looked hard at himself every yeah. game. You know, That's if good. If he got blocked one time, all I had to do was remind him of it right. all week long. <laughs> That's awesome. That's all. I, I, I want to run into him and be like, Howie. You know you weren't really that good. And then just get out the way, right? <laughs> He's going to be like, wait, hold on. Who are you telling me? No, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. He might say, you talked to Millen, didn't you? Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you've been in front offices. You know what building these teams are about. How, I don't want to say stressful, but how is it this time of year, especially at June 1st? I mean, there's June 1st cuts. There's all kind of stuff that goes into building a roster. Yeah, so it's you have, a, you have your system down. Mm-hmm. You have to be on the same page with your head coach. So Dave is doing – Dave, if he's doing his job right, mm-hmm. which I know he is, right. um, he and the head coach have got to be on the same page. They have to be in, in step. And inevitably, you're really relying more on your head coach than, than you as a GM. Right. You'll give him his, your opinion. You both will share those opinions. And then, you know, if he says, look, I like this guy better, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take the guy he doesn't like. You right. got to take the guy he likes, or you're not going to play him. I've mm-hmm. I've watched that happen before. Yeah, and so you you just have to really both of you have to see the same things, have the same eyes, 
understand how you want to use the guy, how does he fit in our system, and then no use getting a guy who doesn't work in your system or can't do what you're asking him to do. And so you just um, it, it's just pretty much a complete piece of it, and then you, you get on the same page and it'll work. Well, I'll tell you, I saw Dave Ziegler uh, walking around the fields, you know, talking to the guys. He's always in a good good mood spirit-wise. You know, it just looks like he's so into what he's doing. I'm sure that talent evaluation is a lot of fun. Matt, I'll tell you, you I think you're in midseason form. You ready to go call some games? Or, you know, you still you want to enjoy this? I know you want to enjoy the summer, but it's like you're ready to go call some games. No, I think I might have to go get my back surgery. <laughs> Well, we don't. We Back want killing me. Oh well, we're gonna make sure that you're okay. What What do you got coming up next? I mean, what What are you guys on the agenda today? You just kind of floating around with the fellas and just yeah, observing that. And you know, you can't understate that. That's it's so good to see guys. Yeah. You know, and there's and there's so many different guys that from different eras. It's interesting though because because we all came through the Raider organization, and we were heavily influenced by Al, mm-hmm. right? And so. Um, when you see that, we know what you've been through. We understand how you were coached. We understand, and all the guys here all won Super Bowls. And so you have something to go back to. So it's it's pretty good. Well, I'll tell you what. It's good to see you guys all out there. Sometimes I get caught up just kind of watching, observing, and seeing all the greats walking and talking. And uh, it's always great to be able to catch up with you. Thanks for, for spending some time with us today. Uh, not a problem at all. Thank you very much. There he is, the great Matt Millen right there. He was with me in the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center in the Raiders Pod Studio yesterday. It was fun catching up with him and just hearing uh, his stories and what it's like when they get to get together, all the legends get to get together. And I know that JT shared a story about uh, the event that they were at last night. I thought that that was really cool. He said that earlier today on his show. So just wanted to bring you that conversation here on the show. 3.50 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back, close out hour number two. It's Raider Nation Radio 920. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. On yesterday's show, we spent a lot of time talking about the defense and what's going to make or break the defense. And we didn't get to get to Coach Patrick Graham. He met with the media yesterday uh, at OTAs. We didn't get to get to any of his sound. We didn't get to get to any of Chandler Jones' sound. We're going to do that around 4.30. We'll hear from Patrick Graham. He had the opportunity to coach up the Senior Bowl. You see how many players the Raiders selected in the draft uh, that were in the Senior Bowl. So want to hear from him on that, plus a few players that he's looking forward to, like Devon Diablo, who missed the majority of the season last year with injury. Obviously, Chandler Jones, a guy that underachieved for what he was expected to do when he was signed in 2022. Uh, His thoughts on him. How about Neil Farrell, Chris Smith, guys like that. There's going to be a lot that you'll hear from uh, Coach Patrick Graham coming up at 430. Then right after that, we'll have Chandler Jones as well. You'll hear the sounds from him that he met with the media on, uh, on, on Thursday as well. So that will come up at 4.30. In a matter of minutes, we'll hear from Lindsey Brown. You can catch her every single morning on the morning tailgate with Clay Baker and Vinny Bonsignor. She'll talk to us about what she saw when she was out at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center, not yesterday, but last Thursday, as her and Vinny were both out there. And I did the show from there, generated from 
uh, the Raiders media room there. So she'll talk about that, but also uh, just give us a little bit of a preview on the Stanley Cup Finals as Game 1 is tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena right here in Las Vegas. So Lindsey Brown will join us in a matter of minutes. I have been throwing out the question there to you, and I'd love to get your response at 702-365-9200 and also our don'tbebroke.com text line about what is the offseason move that you really liked, the move that you weren't a big fan of, and the one offseason question that you still have. And Again, my big move that I was a big fan of was the drafting of tight end Michael Mayer. One, I was shocked, super shocked that he was available even there in round two. The Raiders traded up a couple spots to go get him. They thought about trading up into the back end of round one to go and get him. They decided that the price of doing business was too high, so they made the decision to hold out and uh, wait till day two, and that worked out really well for them. Uh, He's just a guy that did some really good things at Notre Dame with subpar quarterback play. Right, It wasn't like he had just great quarterbacks throwing him the rock, but he was able to catch everything, and he was able to do some really good things and be a big key to that Notre Dame offense. So Michael Mayer is a big a big get, I think, for this Raiders offense moving forward. And I really like to gravitate to the homegrown guys. You know, free agents are great. You know, when they trade for a guy like they traded for Devontae Adams, that's great too. But I like the guys that are generated through the draft just because you know that the team has control over them a little bit longer. Right, you know for a fact that they'll be there as long as they're doing what they're supposed to do at least four years. Right, others five of their first round picks. So that's what I really like to look forward to. That's how you build your team is through the draft. You want to go get free agents, of course. Right, you want to be able to plug some holes with a free agent here or a free agent there. You want to be able to make a timely trade if you have to. Again, I think the Devontae Adams trade was fantastic. Some people will say, well, you gave up first and the second. Maybe it wasn't fantastic. I don't care. I <laughs> I think the Devontae Adams trade was was phenomenal and gave the Raiders an opportunity to to make a run at it. Now, it didn't work, but they they had an opportunity to make a run at it as well as having Devontae, have Darren, have Hunter. You know, Derek Carr was reuniting with his college teammate. I mean, everything looked good on paper. It sounded good, right? We talked about it quite a bit throughout the course of the of the uh, you know the offseason, training camp, preseason. It just didn't shake out during the regular season. So I, I really did like that move and thought that that was a, a really good move. But you know, so as far as picks that are not picks that I didn't like, but the offseason move that I wasn't a big fan of, I wasn't a big fan of just waiting until the fourth round to go and get their first corner. I thought the cornerback position should have been addressed a little bit earlier. Uh, I like Tyree Wilson a lot. I think that was a really good pick, and I said it multiple times before the draft. If they go and address the defensive line right away, that's fine. As long as they go ahead and address the, the corner, the cornerback room, the secondary, sooner rather than later. And I felt like they waited a little, little long wait until the fourth round to get their corner. But Ja'Korian Bennett looks like he could be a good player. I just thought that they probably should have done it a little bit earlier and got a guy that could be a potential ball hawk. And then the one offseason question that I still have, even going back to uh, Raider X's call, he, he says, did the Raiders have enough uh, – did do they do enough this offseason to improve the defense? And that, I think, is a great one. That's probably the best answer. But mine was still the quarterback position. Do they have their franchise quarterback on the roster, right? Or do they just have – quarterbacks on the roster right I mean again we know Jimmy G is only a guy that's going to be you know around for you know a a year two maybe three max but who is the long-term solution at that quarterback position that's what I'm looking for so 702-365-9200 when we don't have a guest in the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187 keyword R&R speaking of guests we have one now join us on the phone lines from the morning tailgate right here on Raider Nation Radio 920 is Lindsey Brown and Lindsey thanks so much for your time I know that you were over at the Stanley Cup Media Day Uh, we talked to Adam Hill he was there Uh, what was the energy like there for you when you were uh, interacting with everyone getting prepared for tomorrow's Stanley Cup Finals 
I think it's pretty electric. I mean, you have a lot of, of the big wigs in town, and I think everybody's really excited to see this matchup. You have two non-traditional hockey markets, which some people would say, boo, ball humbug. But ultimately, these are two really interesting teams that uh, are, are very close to one another in terms of the style. They play the discipline that they command for themselves. And so I think everybody is just really set to, for this thing to get underway and to watch some great hockey in the, in, in the desert here. Yeah, it is exciting, right? And this is the second time that the Golden Knights have had an opportunity to bring home the Stanley Cup. And both of these organizations, neither one of them have a Stanley Cup to their names. But how, how cool is that and, and how fun is that, like the storyline, knowing that at the end of this whole thing, one of these organizations will have their first Stanley Cup? I think it's it's an incredible thing to think about because we see, in especially in non-traditional hockey markets, what a Stanley Cup can do in terms of sparking interest, especially in a young fan base. I mean, if you just look at the youth hockey numbers that skyrocketed here in the Valley following uh, their, their, their Stanley Cup loss, you're just like, just see how this plays out in the next 10 years because you get the kids going, everybody gets involved, and then the products get better, the kids that are playing with one another get better, and ultimately you start producing – you know, some products yourself, but you know, the, the Panthers made a run in the, in the nineties, I think it was 1996. And they were, they were uh, the losers on that side too, but two fan bases that I won't say Vegas is starved. Cause I don't think we've been here long enough to be like, we're starving for this, <laughs> but this is an organization that's, that's earned it in terms of what they've done in roster construction, in terms of uh, the failure that I think is a necessity for anybody to truly find success. And, um, I obviously I, w- I would like to see that Stanley Cup going up and down the strip in a couple of weeks because it's super advantageous for, for me and for us as a as a station. But um, it's uh, it, it's it's great to see the game grow, especially for someone like me that's co- that comes from Minnesota, where the game means so much. It's it's a great position for the NHL to be in. You know, you had an opportunity to see the Stanley Cup up close and personal yesterday at the radio station. Got to take a picture with it. How was that? I mean, for mm-hmm. you, how cool was that moment? I touched it because I, I, people are like, oh, the, the superstition, you're not supposed to. I'm like, well, first of all, I had never had a chance to ever compete for it, so I'm just going to touch it because you never know when it's going <laughs> to come back around. But uh, it, it was kind of surreal because we, we talked to Mike Boyle, who's one of the keepers of the cup, and honestly, I think it was a little bit of a lesson for me of what the next couple weeks is going to be because I don't think I really registered what was happening. Like, I touched the cup, I took a picture of the cup, I talked with Mike, I did all these things. But it was gone in a second, and I didn't feel like I was able to fully appreciate it because this is work. You know, the work is the dream, and the dream is the work. And so um, I I think that's just going to be kind of the the theme for me over these next couple weeks that you don't really know exactly what you're standing in, even though you'd like to take a minute and be like, wow, I can't believe that I'm here because uh, this is something that I've dreamed of from a young age. And and so it's, it's great to have the opportunity that we do at Lotus to be that when the Cup comes visit, comes and visits us or me getting into media day. Uh, I couldn't be more appreciative. Well, you've earned it, that's for sure. Again, Lindsey Brown is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. You know, and I'm not going to lie to anyone. I think anyone who knows me knows I'm a straight shooter. I'm not a guy that's just sitting at the edge of my seat and, and glued in on hockey all the time. But, Lindsey, as you know, there's something different about playoff hockey. What is it that gives you just that extra edge and that extra energy, even for someone like myself that's not, you know, just a hockey aficionado? Well, in terms of the difference between regular season and playoffs, it's a level of sacrifice. If these guys played the way that they do the playoffs during the all 82 games, they'd be dead. Like I've heard that quote a, a yeah. thousand times because especially for this Golden Knights squad that is so prolific at shot blocking. I think Alec Martinez led the league and then Brady McNabb was in second place. And, and that's a, 
that's a collective mindset to put your body on the line. And it's not just in those in play moments where I'm going to go block a shot with my face. I'm going to go into the corner hard and, and be ready to take a hit to make a play. But, but it's also just the, the mental uh, game of it as well. Cause you're playing every other day that the stakes are really high. You know how much, you know, this time of year means to you based off of what you went through to get here. And then the legacy that a lot of these guys want to leave. And so it's a, uh, it's an incredible moment for, for everybody involved. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And you mentioned every other day, you know, games being played every other day. Hell, we got the NBA finals. We had game one last night. They ain't playing again until Sunday. Like how come hockey can go every other day and the NBA has to take so many days off? I don't know. There's always that little question. It's just like, because, you know, if the, if the uh, there was a guy that took a skate to the face in the Golden Knights Winnipeg series in the first round, or like if somebody got caught like that in the NBA, they quit. It, there's just, <laughs> it's a different level of sport. But, you know, those those guys on the NBA side, there's so much running involved, a different yeah. level of trauma and and intentionality as well. I mean, they got five guys on the court with one ball, but you got to be here on this spot. And you got to hit this point at, at, at this part of the rotation where, Hockey is just so much more fluid, and with that, uh, a little bit more of a toxic culture. I mean, I, I grew up in it in terms of sacrifice everything through the team, like just disassociate away from your pain. But uh, it, it's a warrior sport, and you're, you're playing with boots with knives on your feet and chasing around a, a ball that's been cut a little bit wonky. And so uh, we all have to be a little bit uncorked to, to play it and to play it to the necessary level that it takes. Right, big facts right there. Again, Lindsey Brown is our guest here at Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness talking all things VGK and the Stanley Cup Finals that get underway tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. And so what is it about the Golden Knights? I mean, this is two times to the Stanley Cup Finals in six years. They've only been around six years. What is it about this organization that just understands the business and gets it done? Well, I think what, one of the drawbacks about hockey culture is that it tends to be conservative, whether that's in their messaging, whether that's in their marketing, and how they build rosters. The thing about the, the Golden Knights is that they've always gone for it. Once they had that initial success, they got the full green light from owner uh, Bill Foley to go do whatever it takes to get back here as quick as possible. He put the six-year window, but he they had something, and they, they kind of fleeced a lot of different teams when they came to the league with the expansion draft and took people by surprise. And then you have that magic run that kind of solidifies a core here. And obviously they've had to hemorrhage a couple of pieces, you know, that's meant a lot to this community, like Mark Andre, Flurry, Max mm-hmm. Pacioretty, Nate Schmidt, you know, all those moves have to happen to enable them to assemble the roster that they've been able to. And so it's more about like a bet on ourselves, like saying like, we have something here. We know that we do, and we're going to do everything to fortify that, and, and they've done that. At, if, if that's a midseason trade like this year with Ivan Barbashev, who's really unlocked Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsh. So whether that's trading for Jack Eichel midseason last year and giving up not just big-time stars that were currently on the team but big pieces of their future, or in the offseason when they go sign Alex Petrangelo, who they had to let Nate Schmidt go for just to make the money work. Like They're not just going out and getting players. They're getting the premier players. And I think George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon this year – have, have really just hit on the exact moves that this roster needed uh, to, to, for them to make this run. Because sometimes you make those trades and they don't work out, or you sign Robin Letter to a long-term deal as a non-minder, and he's not even part of the team this year because he's dealing with injury. Like, timing and luck are so much part of it. And it just seems like they got healthy at the right time as Mark Stone came back into the lineup for the playoffs. And 
they've been able to shut things down defensively. And so there's a lot of good hockey karma with the way they play, with the way they've conducted business this year. And as I mentioned earlier, the failure that they went through by missing the playoffs last year, I think that's the biggest thing that they had a whole summer for the first time to heal up, first of all, but to chew on it and stew in, in, in that, that shortcoming that was last season. And then you had Bruce Cassidy into it, new system, new accountability, new everything taking this roster to a different level. Again, Lindsey Brown is our guest. It's Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Just got a couple more questions for you. And uh, Adam Hill was on the show earlier today and said that he thinks the time off that Florida has had is going to hurt them starting tomorrow. What are your thoughts on Florida being off so much, so long, waiting for VGK to wrap it up with Dallas? I, I think it's definitely a factor, but I also think that it, it works in their favor a little bit because they're a team that had to scratch and claw their way into the playoffs. Like the only reason they got here wasn't necessarily because, you know, they won out and the, and the destiny was in their hands. No, the Penguins literally squandered it away. And so they ascended. They beat the Boston Bruins in the first round, which is the greatest regular season hockey team you've ever seen. And then, you know, the Maple Leafs make it to the next round, so they beat them. And so they have all these little boosts that you can kind of rely on when you're running on fumes or when, when your back's against the wall. They haven't really put themselves in that position outside of the first round. And so I think days off can sometimes help a team. But where I look at it is, like, what players does time off affect the most? And I look at Sergei Bobrovsky, their netminder, who has really earned his uh, – I think he makes $11 million a year contract. He was really struggling all season long. He was basically third string when this playoff started. But when you're a goaltender, your timing is so important and, and how you feel in your body. Sometimes it's the way that you track the puck, like off the stick and eyes to puck and into the glove. And sometimes you can't read traffic very well because things just get a little bit discombobulated because you're not as settled. So I think it's going to be a huge challenge for him. But uh, other than that, I think maybe the first game you get a little bit heavy lungs and legs, but then you're just good to go because you're playing for – for your dream, for everything that I mentioned earlier. So your, your body will, will respond in tow. All right, we'll get you out on this. Uh, what's going to be the key for the Golden Knights to, to seal the deal and win the Stanley Cup? What are they going to have to do throughout the course of the season or series? They're going to have to forecheck. The great thing about being on the forecheck is that means you're not being forechecked yourselves. And the, the Florida Panthers are an extremely physical hockey team. They like to grind you down. Matthew Tuchuk, number 19, that's the name that everybody's going to be talking about in terms of being a big-time scorer, but so is Sasha Barkoff, their captain, who I think attacks the lower parts of the offensive zone so effectively, very uniquely uh, compared to other people in this league. And so I think the more time the Golden Knights spend on that forecheck, grinding down the legs of the lesser defensive core, in my opinion, of the, of the Florida Panthers and getting that low-to-high offense that's been so effective for them this season, I think that's going to be the biggest key of, of whether or not they're going to be hoisting that cup. There you go. Well, it all gets underway tomorrow. We're excited about it. It should be a lot of fun, and we're hoping that the Golden Knights go ahead and handle their business, at least in game one, and go get it done. Lindsay, thanks so much. You do a great job. We appreciate you. Keep it up, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, fearless leader. Godspeed. <laughs> thanks. There she goes. Lindsay Brown. Good old Lindsey Brown, good friend of the show, and you can hear her every single morning on the morning tailgate with Clay Baker and Vinny Bonsignor. Does a fantastic job, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, on Raider Nation Radio 920. Of course, she's got hockey covered like a glove. She'll be covering the Stanley Cup Finals. She'll be all over the place. You can catch her at the Aces watch party coming up on Sunday. I mean, she's going to be 
all over the place with everything, every sport that we have uh, in the building from ESPN Las Vegas, Fox Sports Las Vegas, obviously Raider Nation Radio 920 as well. 412 is the time. We'll take a break. We'll get to your calls. We'll get to your text, and we'll get to some sound from Coach Graham coming up. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.